Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest podcast from Gas Pathways, a multimedia communications platform dedicated to innovation and technology in the natural gas industry. My name is Dale Lunen, and I'm the America's editor for Natural Gas World and Gas Pathways. This podcast is looking a little bit more closely at methane mitigation, up close and personal. Um, The Canadian oil and gas sector has been challenged by the federal government to reduce methane emissions by 75% by 2030. Technology exists today to achieve many of the cuts needed to reach that goal. And in today's episode of our Gas Pathways podcast, we'll look at how two companies are getting the job done. Joining me today are Scott Volk, Technology and Innovation Lead at Termaline Oil, which despite its name is Canada's largest natural gas producer, and Connor O'Shea, President of WestGen Technologies, which is deploying technology to replace pneumatic devices powered by compressed natural gas, mainly methane, with devices that instead use air compressed by renewable solar energy. Scott, let's start with you. Uh, Termaline has quickly become a leader in clean tech and particularly in clean tech targeted at methane monitoring and mitigation. Tell us a little bit about where methane clean tech is at right now and perhaps a couple of, of the major focus areas that Tourmaline is working in. Yeah, great. Thanks, Dale. So I guess at Tourmaline, when it comes to clean tech, we kind of say we've got four primary pillars, uh, one being methane, one being diesel displacement, water recycling, and energy efficiency. So we propose that we're we're leaders in, in all those. But for this specific topic, we'll kind of jump into, into methane mitigation. Um, so we started looking at methane mitigation some time ago. We've re- replaced all of our high bleed pneumatics with either low bleed pneumatics or zero bleed pneumatics. Uh, that made a big impact for us. We reduced our methane emissions by over 200,000 tonnes. Uh, hitting our methane target three years early. But I think what's what's also really kind of neat or cool is we've partnered up with the Natural Gas Innovation Fund and we've developed an emissions testing center that's focused on, on methane emissions. So that testing center is essentially a platform where clean tech companies can come to that center and they can they can validate their technology. So we're helping develop methane either detection or reduction equipment um, and help getting it kind of from point A to point B using that testing center. So it's a collaboration between the University of Calgary, uh, Termaline, and the Natural Gas Innovation Fund that set this this testing center up. We've got some lab space for early tech, and then it comes to a Termaline site just outside of Edson is where the emissions testing center is at. Maybe we can kind of, we'll get into that a little bit more, but that's probably a good starting point. Okay. Uh, Connor, you're working a lot with Tourmaline, um, and you're also working at the Emissions Testing Center, uh, but you've already commercialized your technology, which I think you refer to as EPOD technology, to replace gas pneumatics uh, with devices that use compressed air. Tell us about that technology, how you managed to commercialize it, and where you're at now in terms of actual installations in North America. Sure. Thanks, Dale. So EPOD stands for Engineered Power On Demand, and it's a solar hybrid remote power generation technology. So if we take a step back, I guess, first of all, making sure the audience knows what pneumatic devices are. Mm -hmm. Um, The best example I like to use is the air gun in a mechanic's garage. Uh, 
you know, that's a pneumatic device that uses compressed air to provide the force and do the work. In oil and gas, um, historically, all around the world, we've always used pneumatic devices in applications like opening and closing valves and running small pumps. But quite often, we don't have compressed air available in the remote locations where this is happening. And so historically, we've used the thing that we do have, which is compressed natural gas, because that's what comes out of the wells. And so, of course, it's it's that use of the gas in that capacity and then the gas vents into the atmosphere. And that's what's creating um, a good wedge of these methane emissions that, that we're talking about. So I, I tell that story because, you know, one of the, the kind of root causes or legacy issues that has resulted in this emission source is the fact that it's actually been really hard to generate reliable power um, on a remote location, particularly if you want to use the raw fuels that are coming out of the well and not have to truck process fuel back into the location in order to generate power. So, so that's the context of why we started the business. We saw you know, this need where there was a remote power generation gap and very specifically in that kind of one to 50 kilowatt range, there weren't very many solutions available in the market. That just happens to be how much power you need in order to actuate these devices and run these pumps without without gap, uh, methane emissions. And so we developed this solar hybrid power generation technology to be able to power an air compressor or power electric actuators and eliminate that source of emissions. By doing that, we reduce emissions by about 99.5%. So that's the context. Um, in terms of how we developed the technology, we, you know, we really did, um, we developed a prototype in the, uh, you know, in our garage, so to speak. It actually was the the NGIF and the Emission Testing Center, um, coupled with ERA, Emission Reduction Alberta, and Sustainable Sustainable Development Technology Canada. That was the platform that we used to really launch this product into market and to to commercialize it and de-risk it. So we actually got a grant um, from those three organizations and within the grant, it allowed us to hire a number of engineers and designers to improve our technology and then actually deploy the units to 10 different oil and gas producers, including uh, Tourmaline, where we've got some units that were deployed to the emissions testing center. So by doing that, we were able to really refine our technology and get a you know, a, a robust commercial piece of equipment. So I would say that's been a big enabler. In terms of where we are today, um, we've now got sales. Uh, we've sold over 250 units, to more than 45 different oil and gas producers, and these units are now deployed all across North America. So it's, we've been very fortunate that, you know, the, the timing of and really the focus that we've had on methane emissions in Canada the timing of such has been really great because it allowed us to develop a commercial product really before other places in the world were thinking about it. And that's given us a huge opportunity now because we've got this, this leaping product that now all of a sudden uh, the market really needs all over the world. You mentioned that in, in the uh, commenting on the technology itself or, or that I guess the use case of the technology, you mentioned, uh, using either uh, pneumatics or electric actuators. Why are you focusing on the pneumatics 
as opposed to the electric actuators, using that solar energy uh, to power directly the the valves and and the pumps, etc. Why why was the compressed air option the best one? What we find is that um, it depends on the application on whether electric actuation or pneumatic actuation is a better solution. So the level set, you know, most sites always have these pneumatic devices using compressed natural gas. When we're talking about building a brand new site, you know, there's nothing there yet. So we can put a non-emitting device in and we, we can either use a pneumatic device with compressed air or we can just use a brand new electric device. When we're talking about going back to existing sites and retrofitting them, we see a big advantage to sticking with pneumatic because you don't actually have to change the devices. Yeah, it's already there. The same devices stay exactly where they were. They function the exact same. All we do is we switch the, uh, the input source from compressed natural gas to compressed air, and, and then you eliminate that emission source. So in particular, on larger sites, in a retrofit application, we think that compressed air makes a lot more sense because you don't have to replace all the devices. On single well pads and smaller sites, um, sometimes we see electric actuation, electric actuation being more attractive uh, economically. Mm -hmm. uh, Scott, um, WestGen is, is an example of the innovation that's taking place in the natural gas sector, and and uh, I know. I know it's a it's a, a big thing for Mike Rose, your CEO. It's a big thing for the Natural Gas Innovation Fund and the Canadian Gas Association, which which launched the launched NGIF a few years ago. Um, what's driving the what's driving this innovation? Is it is it regulation based? Is it is the market looking for innovative innovative solutions? Uh, where where is all this coming from? I'd say it's a little bit of everything. Um, so the the Natural Gas Innovation Fund started up by by industries essentially. So you have the Canadian Gas Association started up, and it's industry putting in their own funding, granting to organizations in order to get them up and started in the clean tech world that's designed for natural gas. So that would be just an an industry initiative that's really driving change and looking for that for that innovation. On the on the methane space, you started to get um, when when Canada set the original 45% methane reduction target and there were regulations that came along with it. Um, that was definitely something that, that started that started us down a trend. Um, so I, I would say that one of the craziest things about that set of regulation is that technology really didn't exist to achieve that regulation. And I, I'd propose that's one of the first times in history where, where it hasn't been that an industry is regulated to switch to a different device that's already existing. Um, all these things really needed to be finalized and scaled. So you kind of saw a time frame where you needed this huge amount of technology and innovation and this huge amount of work going into that ecospace. So like overnight we went from very little things of methane to all of a sudden we've got Canadian satellites in space, we've got aircraft that can find a barbecue that's not lit. We've got continuous monitors that can measure to the parts per billion. And we've got all sorts of technology now that it's capable of zero emission well sites and, and zero emission pneumatics. So that, that took a huge amount of effort. 
And I wouldn't say it was the regulation that necessarily did it. It wasn't the original, the regulation kicked it off, but it was these, these programs such as Tier in Alberta that really gave the funding and the eco space for all these innovation to take happen, to happen. So for people that don't, the Tier program is a program in Alberta that, that takes carbon taxes that industry pays, um, essentially uses those carbon taxes in order to fund so the government doesn't take any of the money. They use that the carbon taxes to fund uh, both granting organizations such as the ERA that would have would have where Connor would have gotten his grants and uh, offset programs and emissions performance credits. And those systems really allowed us to have a value proposition to really act early and to really put money and efforts into into this type of innovation and allowing Canada to to move one step further. So those. Yeah, they were definitely policy, but I, I would say it was the it was productive policy out of Alberta's tier program that really helped drive the change, not the restrictive regulation necessarily that that made the change happen, but the it, it couldn't have happened without the productive policy that was giving that carrot or that ability to for this technology to really move. Because again, it this this tech didn't exist at this scale to even go implement at that point mm -hmm. in time. Mm -hmm. So so I guess what as we move along and we and we've moved now from 45% to 75% I propose we've got to take the learnings that we've had from from how we can use a productive policy uh, like the tier program that can encourage tech and innovation and give give additionality to Canadian oil and gas to show that we are the cleanest gas in the world and that we maintain this additionality as we move forward so as a policy kind of gets gets defined, I think it's important that that those things be considered in the, the policy mm -hmm. themselves. Just really look at what drove the tech in the first place and, and we've done incredible at it. So let's keep the things that are going well going well. As as the the technology is introduced and commercialized, um, a lot of talk surrounds the energy transition. A lot of people in the industry industry don't like to look at it as a transition because that implies a beginning point and an end point. They like to think of it more as an energy evolution. Um, hydrocarbons, I think most people agree, are going to be still relevant uh, to 2050 and and quite likely and and beyond. Um, Connor, can you talk about how how WestGen is is addressing the evolution? Um, and are there any other technologies that you're working on uh, to advance it? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Dale. I really appreciate that you called it the energy evolution because um, that's what we've been calling it and we're trying to get that to catch on. So <laughs> let's keep saying it. <laughs> um, so the, I mean, at WestGen, our purpose is to empower the energy evolution. And uh, we use the word empower because we're a bunch of dads, so we had to we had to use a pun and make a power generation joke. But in all seriousness, we think that um, energy transition is a bit of a misnomer because that kind of, that kind of implies that we have one source of energy today, and we're moving to a different source tomorrow. And that's actually just not reflective of what's happening. So we think evolution is a better word, and evolution really means you know we've got a certain energy mix today within the mix each wedge has its own characteristics and both the mix and the characteristics of the component parts are evolving over time um, to something different and that evolution is driven by 
society's needs and demands. And, and that's actually how it's always happened, right? So um, when, when the biggest priority is energy security or reliable energy or uh, low cost energy, those have always been the, the problems that our industry has been really focused on solving. And we've done absolutely incredible things in the 150 year history of this industry. Uh, take the shale gas revolution as an example of you know what this industry was able to innovate and do when energy security was the biggest concern of of society and so um i would say that in the last three or four years it's been very clear that you know society is demanding cleaner energy and um and that is the challenge that I see our industry stepping up to achieve right now. So I, I see this evolution happening. And I think the amount of progress that we're making towards it is tremendous. And we're, you know, WestGen is just one little example. Um, but the, the programs that Scott mentioned are enabling this evolution. And I, I like Scott, am really happy with you know the way that Canada and uh, and Alberta and our regulate and our regulatory bodies here have approached these changes and created the, this productive policy, as Scott called it, um, because it has enabled a significant amount of um, progress on these challenges, but also a significant amount of economic activity and you know this this technology that we're developing here because we've done it ahead of the rest of the world here in Canada, we're creating these tremendous opportunities to export these solutions to the rest of the world and bring more prosperity to our community here. So I, I think there's a lot of, of great things happening. In terms of what else WestGen is doing, um, yes, we're not, we're not stopping you know, where we are on pneumatics. Pneumatics was the first thing that we, we addressed because it's one of the biggest wedges in the pie of methane emissions, and it we would say it's the lowest hanging fruit. But honestly, our industry is maybe only five years away from completely eliminating this problem. Um, and then you know, there's so we're at WestGen. We're saying, okay, what's the next lowest hanging fruit? Because we know that it's it, it doesn't stop when we when we get this done. It's a process of continuous improvement and uh, and continuous growth. So. We continue to to work on new solutions. Uh, something just occurred to me while you were talking about that: the the current EPOD technology is deployed primarily at well sites. Is it adaptable elsewhere along the gas value chain? At, at say at pipeline compressors, uh, or at uh, even at the utility level? Is it is Absolutely. it adaptable? And you because that's a a big Thing, critics of the industry say, you know, natural gas can never be considered clean because it leaks methane from the from the minute it, you know, from the time it's fracked to the time it's it's burned in your stove at home. Um, so yeah, so that's a great question, Dale. And the answer is absolutely the same technology applies all the way through the value stream, right from the wellhead where you're the well site where the gas uh, comes out, all the way to the local distribution company where they've got you know, um, compressor stations and pipeline riser sites that have pneumatic devices on them, and we can fix all of those problems. One thing I would say to those critics is that 
yes, there are a lot of methane emissions in the system today, and that's really a reflection of what the priorities of, you know, this society going back into the past have been, where nobody's ever said, I want to pay more for my gas to have a cleaner product until recently. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing things like responsibly sourced gas. And what's happening is these problems are getting cleaned up and people are paying a bit of a premium for gas that comes from a system that doesn't have these leaks. Because the, in my mind, a lot of these, these leaks and these, um, these intentional events, it's less, it, it's not a foundational technology problem, at least not anymore. It's not that we need to have a new breakthrough in physics to be able to figure out how to eliminate these emissions. It's actually a commercial and an economic challenge. It's we need to find cost-effective ways to do it. We have the technology to do it. We can get rid of the leaks. There's lots of, you know, if you look at sour gas as an example, we don't let sour gas leak because it's it's too dangerous. So we've always we've always found ways to make sure that doesn't leak. We can do the same. It's just, are people willing to pay for the incremental cost that 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 adds? And, or are there ways to create productive policy that um, that allows our industry to build, you know, to put the engineering work into developing cost-effective and scalable solutions? Scott, you're, you're something of a policy wonk. Um, we've, we've got, we've got this technology, uh, we've got some momentum behind it. Uh, what What is needed to continue that momentum and what's holding back uh, Canadian technology providers especially from um, getting this out to every gas producer in the world, really? Right, I'm, I might take one step back too as well, because yep. you kind of mentioned the idea that the leaks and things like that, that natural gas could never be clean. And I, I think you really need to look at jurisdictions when when making those statements. Like Canada's had natural gas conservation laws. Well, Alberta's had natural gas conservation laws. That's actually what the what our original regulator was about, was conserving the resource and making sure that Energy you are just producing oil. Yeah, you are producing or, yeah. oil and letting the gas leak off. So for years and years we've been we've been putting things in place in order to be able to produce both oil and gas in in western canada and and that's kind of what really differentiates some of the regulations and why why we're cleaner because if that natural gas is obviously the product we want to sell there's no financial benefit to have it leaking off into the into the air mm-hmm. so other jurisdictions where they don't have the pipeline infrastructure the natural gas piping available natural gas will become more of a nuisance and then then that's where you do get some of those numbers that are that are quite high as far as how much gas is is being released or those types of things but i propose the natural gas in canada especially and well especially through alberta and bc is incredibly clean um and there aren't there aren't a lot of leaks and that conservation of gas is already happening and we're doing more and more and more now can we always get better absolutely so to kind of get to the next piece about the policy I would say the policies that allow us to really take advantage of the Canadian uh, system, like we have some very significant advantages. So again, if I was gonna compare a tourmaline average to like a US average, as far as a life cycle intensity or uh, a methane performance, we're, we're orders of magnitude better than the, than the US average. 
and and that would be similar for many companies in in Canada. So I propose we got to really come up with ways to take advantage of that and use these systems, whether they be responsibly sourced gas or methane performance credits or or the offset systems or voluntary offset systems. We want Canada to be able to take advantage of the fact that we're producing a much cleaner molecule than anywhere else in the world, and that we that we should go look for a premium and look for a social license to expand our production of natural gas in Canada and displace higher higher carbon fuels around the world. That that is really the Canadian advantage is to to have the Canadian taxpayers get a benefit from the resource that they own uh, by selling a cleaner, nicer, better product that people want to pay a premium for. So when we build out policy, we just need to kind of keep that in mind that the worst thing you'd ever want is for for the U.S. to be able to sell responsibly sourced gas being an order of magnitude higher emissions because we don't have that additionality because we're regulated to do so. So you can't actually sell a, a responsibly sourced product here because there's a hard, fast regulation. I propose the regulation should be encouraging regulation like the tier program in Alberta that's really makes it so that there's value proposition to be the, the cleanest gas and then we can sell our gas as the cleanest gas and maintain that value proposition for Canadians a whole, whole way through the sector. Okay, is and and, and the $64,000 question, is that happening? Uh, absolutely, like, so I've never seen in the history of really anything have I seen tech and innovation move at a faster pace than what's been happening out of the tier program. You've got all of a sudden you've got like engineers doing doing engineering work again, and you've got just some of the the like biggest and craziest ideas coming out there every day. And now we've got a system in place. So I'd say absolutely it's happening. We should really look at where it's happening well and double down on those pieces of policy and be very cautious to put in policy that can that can stop it. Because it's very easy to put in a restrictive regulation and, and the whole additionality blows up and the systems that are encouraging all this innovation could could end overnight. Um, but it's working incredible. I'd say we double down on the things that are working great and then and continue to evolve, as Connor said. And I do love the word evolve instead of transition. Uh, let us evolve and get more value for what Canada's doing right today. Connor, any final thoughts? Um, I think I reiterate, uh, some of the things that have already been said, but just to, you know, as a, to sum it up, I think the, we have a, a really tremendous economic opportunity for our, our community here by continuing to incentivize innovation, incentivize better performance and um you know the outcome of that is we create a whole bunch of jobs the talented people who who know our industry well um they 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 get deployed and you know their brain power goes into solving this global problem and then these solutions get exported to the rest of the world where we you know we create more economic opportunities but not only that i think if we if we continue on this path, as Scott mentioned, ultimately, um, you know, this creates a brand of Canada as a clean energy leader. And that brand, it not only, you know, like I mentioned, creates the, the economic opportunity around the technology, but it also continues to enable 
our resource industry to provide the, the energy that the world needs. And by creating that brand, I think we we enable our industry to to have the license to export our energy to other parts of the world. And and again, you know, support the, the challenges that our world faces of both climate change, but also energy security and energy poverty. Excellent, which is top of mind everywhere in the world these days. Uh, thanks, uh, Connor. Thanks, Scott, for taking time out of your busy Monday morning to uh, talk with me here today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, signing in to this latest podcast from Gas Pathways. Uh, please keep an eye out at gaspathways.com for future Uh, podcast sessions and uh, we look forward to joining you again in the near future thank you and have a good day